thank you, Keisha, for joining us on The Power of a Voice. Thanks for having thank me. You. So if you want to just give everyone just a little intro of, you know, who you are, what you do, um, that'd be a great way to start. Okay. My name is Keisha. Um, I work in digital advertising um, for NBC Sports. And basically, I am one of the specialists that helped to put ads on our sports pages. Okay. Um, so how do you feel that, uh, just like working-wise and, and business-wise, I know it's affected sports a lot, but like how do you feel like your workload is um, at work compared to what it normally is? And is there any changes like in your work environment other than working from home? Um, well, since what I do is purely digital, the mm -hmm. transition to work from home wasn't a big to-do since everything that I do is already digital. But um, there currently aren't any sports running. So we have been having to do a workaround to see what works for us, to see what can you know keep us going. And we've just been doing a lot of that. Got it. Okay. So it seems like, uh, you know, the common theme is being creative, right? Like, uh, so like it's finding uh, innovative and creative ways to do your job. What about in your uh, your everyday life? What are some of the things that, that you know, you're doing to kind of cultivate that, that uh, creative side? I use the first month of my quarantine rest because I have not been resting at all. And um, it takes 21 days to form a habit. So now I've started my new habit where I jog every morning. Um, I get up two hours before I have to, no, I'm lying, three hours before I have to go to work, um, jog, come back, make breakfast, and then I get on in time to start working. And um, in between then, since, you know, all, all of what we do at work is digital. So you have to think about it unless you're interacting with your coworkers. It's just you by yourself at your desk. So sometimes I'd listen to podcasts or audiobooks or whatever while I'm working. Now I just have more of the ease of doing that. So I'm able to do work and still listen to this new cool audiobook that I just got. Okay. And what audiobook is it? Um, well, right now I'm reading, I'm listening to Rich Dad, Poor Dad. Oh, okay. Yeah. Someone recommend. Who's recommending you? A lot of people have to keep a book. Have you read it? Yeah. Oh. Um, okay. So what do you think about like how COVID is being treated um, today? Like certain, now like certain states are, they could open on their own if they choose to. Um, that New York looks like a shit show, pretty much. But um, how do you, like, what's your feelings on it? Just how it's being governed at this point? I feel like um, this should have been nipped in the bud much sooner when we got earlier cases. Um, I feel like we should have looked at other cases such as Italy and even the UK when they waited too late to start quarantining to, you know, we all see the results that they're having now. And right. being that this country is a superpower, you would think that they would see what's going on with other countries and take it more seriously. I, it, for me, since I watch the news every day and even before coronavirus, ever since I started my career in 
I started in news actually. So right. I've, I've always watched the news every day. And to me, it just looks like we're more concerned with the economy than we are, you know, the wellness, the well-being of the civilians on this, you know, that are here. Exactly. Like, I feel like um, the government is not showing anyone any type of, um, or showing that it has any type of uh, humanity. Oh, I just want to put this disclaimer out there. My thoughts and views are not a reflection of the company's thoughts or views. This is my thoughts or views. So this is in no way, shape, or form a, a reflection of what the company may feel. That's right. CYA, girl. CYA. But um, I just feel like, you know, uh, the government has no humanity. Uh, for right now, from everything I'm seeing, I feel like um, governors, I'm gonna speak on New York's governor, um, Kumo, but he has more of like, he's trying to do as much as he possibly can with the resources that he has. And he's really been um, in, I don't wanna say in the front line, but really doing a really good job in communicating with New York as far as what the plans are um, what they're doing, what his um, his recommendations are um, to but cities. I think that that's the, that's a, a very uh, important point that you just made, but also that like I think people need to understand that the federal government can't necessarily play as much of a role as people uh, want. It, all the responsibility for a lot of these things are state to state. So the governors are kind of like the representation for each state. So as much, uh, so the same way that we don't want, you know, Donald Trump uh, taking the realm and opening up the city, or opening up the state in uh, May 1st, right? So we, we, we lean on our governors in the same way that we have to lean on our governors for every decision being made uh, during this time, contrary to whatever the president says. Mm -hmm. it's, it's actually the governor's responsibilities to make those decisions. Right, but then, so why are we not getting the federal information that we need? I mean, not the federal, the federal support, uh, you know, financially with supplies and everything that we need. Like, well, New York is crippling. I mean, that's, that's needed. I think but, it's a preparation thing, more so than it is, a, a, you know, like, a, it's it's a lack of of government being ready for a pandemic, right? And I think that's that sense deeper than just like them not caring about humanity more so than they weren't just prepared or paying attention to the possibility of something like this happening. Even though we saw the H5N1 and we saw the H1N1 and we saw these other potential bird flus and other pandemics that you know could have been disastrous and the, the government just didn't take this one that serious. You know, I think, I think, first of all, um, Governor Cuomo is doing a really good job in being the face of New York and doing all that he can to implement the social distancing and to make sure that we do actually enforce those social distancing rules. Um, yesterday was the first time since I've been sent home a month ago to quarantine um, that I took public transportation. I got on the bus and even that experience is completely different. They don't want you interacting with the bus conductor. You literally have to enter at the back of the bus. And you, when you think of it right there, you know, public transportation is already losing money because the conductors can't take the fare from anyone that's entering on the bus. 
and the social distancing rules, I, th I think still does apply on the bus because there were very few people that were on when I got on. Wow, wow. Um, so do you think that they're running more like buses and just less trains? Or do you think like it's just all around just a cut? I'm not even sure because I didn't even need to take public transportation for almost a month. So this to me was very foreign. I mean, the bus came like it normally would. Um, I don't even know what the subway looks like because I'd even go down there, but even there in the carts, they're maintaining social distancing. Only 10 per people can be on a cart at a time from what I'm hearing. Right. So, so much of what we know about New York is changing. Yeah. Speaking of changing, so like, I want to go back to uh, what you said about your new routine, because uh, that's something I've been interested in. Like, uh, I find it fascinating, like how social media impacts this. So my question for you is like, how much of it, how much of uh, the decisions that you make, that, you know, for the new routine are impacted by pressures of social media telling you that you have to keep a particular, you know, uh, 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 identity or you know this is your opportunity to do more or whatever the case may be like how much of that do you feel like uh, is uh, uh, pressured by social media okay I'm not all right so I actually just finished reading uh, well not just finished reading but when the quarantine had just started I had just finished reading the subtle art of not giving a fuck right mm -hmm. so you know, at the beginning of the quarantine, when we were all locked down and you're seeing all these posts about buying stocks and, you know, this is a good time to save your money and, you know, you should be starting a new business, starting a new hobby. At first I was like, yeah, yeah, I need to do all these things. But then I thought about it and I was like, fuck that. I'm tired. You know, I've busted my ass all this time at this job. I never have time to do anything else when i'm not at work i'm somewhere else i want to take the time to actually listen to my body and rest and that's why i spent the whole first half of the quarantine resting i didn't want to um that's why i spent the first half of my quarantine resting i knew that there would be another there would not be another time that i'm resting like this until i'm retired right. and after i got over that i i was like okay i do want to start off on a fresh foot now that I've gotten this rest. So what can I do? Well, I haven't been to the gym in like three years, so let me start running. Okay, this is conducive to my lifestyle. This is this actually makes me happy. You know, eating better, that actually makes me happy. But I know going out, buying stocks, and I don't even know stocks like that, or like investing in a business or doing, you know, creative projects, if it, for me, at this point, if it's not fulfilling to me, regardless of the pressures, mm -hmm. I'm not going to do it to impress the next person. But I know that with social media, it's, it's tempting to want to do that just so you can come out of the quarantine and say, hey, I created five new businesses and I made $500,000 in this quarantine. <laughs> so. And I feel like there's a lot of, um, like, I, like, so what Andy was saying, there's a lot into what you were saying. There was a lot of like, you know, if you don't come out of this quarantine with a new skill or something like that going around, but at the same time, like some people were actually content in the life that they had doing whatever it is that they were doing. Um, and they just want to take the opportunity to rest. And I think that's okay as well. Like if you could come out of this, 
just rested, that's a trait that a lot of people don't have at all, especially in our community. Um, what are your thoughts about, um, you know, African Americans um, dying at a higher rate because of it? Mm. Well, there's a lot of things that that go into that, right? I feel like this is going to be a controversial. I feel like partially mm-hmm. um, we are to blame only only in the beginning of this because when if you when you were on social media right when when coronavirus started happening you noticed it was hitting all the european countries but it didn't hit anywhere in africa and then you had this whole running rumor oh you know black people can't get coronavirus you know and then you had random black folks getting coronavirus and people were still running with that like even when the quarantine first started there were people in Brooklyn that were having black parties. They were not taking the social distancing seriously until, you know, weeks later, people started really, really getting sick. And then we started really, really getting hit hard. So I feel like a small part of it is, you know, our blame. But another reason why I feel like we're getting hit so hard is because if you look at, you know, health disparities, again you know across races we're always the hardest hit with anything black women are you know the highest at risk for heart disease for breast cancer you Mm -hmm. know for diabetes blood high blood pressure i know that um, black women also are the number one for like lupus and other popular autoimmune um you know deficiencies or disorders um as well that contributes to it Exactly. I definitely agree there, but I think like the underlining issue with that is that one, we just don't have for a really long time, right? Mm -hmm. We never really had the support, right? Exactly. Never had the support to actually get things done um, and to really take care of ourselves. Um, We were always, I feel like our community is just always ready to make the next dollar and trying to figure out how to hustle out the next dollar so they could just afford a way of living that they don't have the opportunity to ever take a chance to actually rest and nurse themselves back to health properly um and then the unfair you know social economic you know disadvantages that our community has you know create creates a lot of stress Mm -hmm. Uh, so that's where all the like the heart problems and the blood problems come in um, I feel like, sorry, I feel like black people in general are at a disadvantage when you look at us as a whole operating in America, right. health wise, we're at a, de- uh, at a disadvantage. Right. Then you have to think of resources. We don't always have the resources. And even if you do have the money and the status, it doesn't mean that you have the resources. If I go into the hospital today and I say, Hey, you know, I'm in, a lot of lot of pain, ibuprofen's not working, you know, Tylenol's not working. Is there anything that you can do? You know, if I had another counterpart that was coming in with the same complications, mm-hmm. she would get, you know, pain management, pain relief, better pain relief management than I would because counterpart you mean white, right? Yeah, yeah. Because normally our, our we're not heard. And I feel like you know, when even when you go into medical, you're still interacting with people that 
either don't want to interact with us or not necessarily know how. So yeah, you may have the finances to access, you know, the medical attention, but the resources might not be provided to you. Our resources are normally delayed right. compared to everyone else's. I think you guys are all hitting the nail on the coffin, right? What it ultimately boils down to is uh, a, uh, a large looming R word that people don't typically like to use it's called racism. Mm -hmm. okay and this is just another way to kind of like uh rear its ugly face like i keisha i agree with you that like there might have been uh uh some like some black people that might not necessarily have taken it serious that but that's that's to me is just a microcosm of how much of a, of a mistrust black people have with america right mm -hmm. like sure. circumstances black people don't trust the government so therefore they're not going to trust what the government says Right. And I mean, even like with the face mask thing, it's like if you don't have a face mask, put, you know, walk around with a scarf over your mouth or a bandana. Like in our community, a cop sees you coming out of store with a bandana, they automatically think that you're robbing a place. So they're automatically going to assume. Or just that you're a gang member. Or that you're a gang member, depending on the color, you know, the bandana. Right. Whatever. What kind of, right. Also, it's also look at look at the areas that are being hit the hardest. Right, for Queens, for example, right, a, a large population, a large black population in Queens are the MTA workers, are the truck driver, um, the garbage truck drivers, are the bus drivers, and um, they're the ones getting hit, you know, hard because they don't have, they are the essential workers. They don't have the luxury of, you know, maybe working a job where they can, you know, an IT job or a, a Wall Street job where they can stay at home and make right. money right now, right? So even if, you know, they have to still be going to work and they have to be, still be, uh, you know, in the front lines, even if they don't want to, even if they do have the underlining health uh, concerns that a lot of people have, and they have them because of the fact that they have to continue to work because of the disproportionate um, uh, wage gap that you have in America, right? Okay. So like, though, even those play a role, like how, you know, like a lot of, you know, uh, white people get to stay home, you know, that's not a luxury that's afforded to I mean, in our community. I feel like a lot of communities are blue collar workers, but I feel like if anybody was in the jobs that, you know, MCA people are, was just period in an essential role, they would still have to go to work no matter what their race is. Yeah, but like that's, that, yeah, you're But you have to think of it this way though. Are, are the color, are our color. You say what? What Andy was saying, you, a lot of the people that do those blue collar jobs, they are not white. Like a lot of, uh, it's mainly minorities that do blue collar blue collar jobs. It's mainly minorities that are willing to get up there and be in the thick of it and drive that bus or conduct that train or pick up the trash, even the trash, you know, pe people don't realize that that's a scary job to have, especially now you're literally picking up people's trash or people have discarded gloves, face masks, maybe, right. you know, like body protective gear, you don't know. And you have to go out there and touch that. And when you wear gloves, you had a higher risk of, you know, contaminating yourself because your gloves are touching everything. Yeah. But how else are these men supposed to do their jobs? They can't just stop and say, oh, let's just pull over on this block and wash our hands. They can't do that. They have to keep going throughout the day, picking up trash after trash that yeah. contains things that could possibly kill them. That's true. That's true. Um, so throughout... Like, how do you feel, like, how, in your mind, do you see corona ending? Like, what do you think the end looks like? What do you think, 
what would be your ideal solution to kind of like, all right, let's just nip this in the bud. If Keisha was, you know, governor of New York, what would you be doing? Or like just president, period. What would you be doing? I'd be, in, I'd be enforcing a curfew right now. Um, no, like no one should be on the streets after eight unless you're an essential worker and, or if you have to work, which would have to be essential and you have to have your badge out if you're going to be out after eight. Right. Like that's something that every single state across the board should have done that. And Mm -hmm. even so, okay, yeah. All right. So what happens before the curfew? Okay. Well, you should only be coming out if you're doing a quick jog if you're getting groceries or if you're going to seek medical attention, not going over to your friend's house to sing happy birthday outside of her window, like not, <laughs> you know, doing things like that, you know? Um, and I feel like because some states have been doing it and some states have been, have not been, we're unable to contain it. There was just people out there in Michigan yesterday protesting to, you know, lift the stay at home order and you look at this photo and it's at least 20 people on top of each other, back to back, yelling. Who knows who has the virus among them? Like this stay at home order is to protect you. Right. You know, understood this is hurting the economy. No one wants to tell everyone stay inside while the country continues to lose money, while stocks continue to drop. And, you know, while, you know, the country is going to end up losing more money providing these stimulus checks. No one wants to do that, but the greater reason why this is being done is because they want everyone to be healthy, and the hospitals that we have can't survive a pandemic. We can't manage a, 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 a hospital that's operating at 150% capacity. Right. No, and I agree with that. Like, I feel like um, I saw a picture of Houston. Houston is going to open up officially. The governor announced it next week, by the end of next week. I'm not Houston, sorry, the state of Texas um, is going to open up next week, by next week, Friday. And there is a sign, a picture of like five basically white women, older white women, standing with signs like business needs need to be open, money has to be made, how are we supposed to survive? And they're standing next to each other in this picture. And I think for me, I feel like it's just very soon, like, you know, there should be some type of system to kind of come out of it, of being locked down. So for example, to go back to work, you need to be tested or to have people, you know, in such large places or a lot of people in a building, Everyone should be tested before they enter well, in the building. You're gonna that's not gonna happen for a while. Like I, I don't I don't imagine that you'll see the stadium being filled for a while or you'll see like you're you're probably gonna see like you know, like with Keisha and what you do, you're probably gonna see a lot of uh, empty sports venues probably for at least till next year, you know, if not a little bit, you know, uh, past that. Um and as far as the testing is concerned, then yeah, it's like you know, and when you're when you're dealing with a pandemic, right? Like you need to test people, make sure they have antibodies, right? Like, you know, uh, you need to make sure that like uh, p- people are tested uh, numerous times. Families are being tested, mm-hmm. and like um, if you had it, like what is your what is your uh, blood cell count? Like all these different things that are indicators that like we're getting better. Finding different medicines that we can give people before we come up with the vaccine. The vaccine is probably not going to be here until February of next year, so. 
you know, those are those are uh, procedures that have to be done, right? Yeah. So that we don't see this uh, reoccur again. And then what? And, and then who knows what it'll look like if it does reoccur? And the thing is, is that also a lot of people who, um, you know, a lot of people who work in our business people, they have to travel, right? Um, and those are the main travelers Monday through Friday, tip, well, Monday through Thursday, they are typically the travelers who are flying here, doing that and getting paid to talk and, and you know, just moving around. And while there's still going to be some incorporation of like Zoom meetings, I just fear for, you know, someone who's traveling and, and Texas is a very large state. So someone goes from, you know, who lives in Houston, now travels to Dallas, gives a speech in front of thousands because now Texas is open. And then it spreads even more, and the cases are wasn't even that bad in Texas to begin I with. I don't even think that that's what's gonna happen because I don't. I don't think that like no matter what the governor says, I don't. I don't foresee people coming out. Right? If New York were to open by June, I still don't see people coming out. But you have to put yourself in the mindset of, you know, the president is recommending the entire country to shut down. In my personal state, like let's say if I live in Texas it's not as bad as in New York, it's not as bad as Atlanta, it's not as bad as California. You know, like, it's minimal cases compared to other states who have real serious issues. I'm gonna be like, oh, finally, I could go out. Like, uh, Miami, we was talking about Miami and the beaches. Like, people are just gonna go, like... Well, that was before, like, that was before a lot no, of those now. people... That's, no, that was before a lot of those people started, like, getting it. Like, a lot of those beaches were shut down. Not spring break. Huh? Florida, so Florida just opened their beaches uh, oh, two hours yeah. ago. And they just released pictures of the first 25 minutes of the beach, and it's packed. There's no way that... None of these people are six feet apart from each other. They're not maintaining social distancing whatsoever. Yeah, but then like there, there has to be, and this is a this is the problem, right? Like this is the large looming problem that the one responsibility for the federal government is to provide aid. A lot of these people need like you know you know tourists coming in uh, to visit the beaches or whatever the case may be. Or like they like there's a lot of misinformation being spread, so people think that it's okay to do certain things, or people just don't care. Uh, and you know that's where maybe a curfew or, or a harder structure may um, be. Yeah, but why even open the beach in the in Florida? Like that just right there just makes no sense. And to piggyback off what Andy was saying, there is so much misinformation you know mm -hmm. first it was oh well black people can't get coronavirus and you know i mean that was kind of a joke but some people took that seriously and also people were saying that the coronavirus can't survive in the summer now we're hearing it actually could then at one point we heard if you get the coronavirus you know your body already has the antibodies so you won't get it again but now china is seeing people that have tested positive with coronavirus and, and recovered now testing positive again. Well, they're just now seeing it and now they're freaking out. There's so much misinformation and this is a novel that, virus. Part of that is that there, there's, it's a novel virus, like you said, so like it's expected to be misinformation. Now what happens with like, even with the CDC or you know, you know um, the Center for Infectious Diseases, um, uh, like, putting out certain information is that like they're putting it as it, as it comes and people aren't necessarily uh, using common sense to recognize that this is a novel uh, virus that hasn't, you know, 
there's no uh, information about it. So therefore, you can't assume that everything that comes out of those is going to be accurate. Sometimes they're, they're, you know, trying to figure out the same way that we are, right? They just happen to have the technology to, and a better vantage point. But yeah, sometimes they'll say things like, you know, at the beginning of this, you didn't need a mask. Now everyone needs a mask in New York, right? Like, mm -hmm. it, you know, that's what happens when you have a brand new virus that kind of shows up. But uh, but because of the mistrust, you know, that, you know, people have for the government, it ends up looking like hypocrisy or lying right. versus like, you know, uh, those people figuring it out. Like, right. and, and um, wine, is it wine dance? Mm -hmm. um, there are still, like, there's still a community who does not wear gloves, who don't wear masks. They go out to the stores. The stores force them to do social distancing, okay, but they're not wearing the proper protective equipment that they need. And whether it is they can't find any, they can't, you know, come up with something, they don't have the money for it, or just not, not trusting it, then um, that's a, like a whole nother, I don't know what the situation is with them. But at the same time, it's just like, um, I feel like just to go off of what we all been saying, there's just a huge lack of trust. Um, just period with the black community and government in general. Like well, I, not even just with the black community, with, with Americans and the government in general, right? With the, you know, like Americans for a long time just don't trust the federal government. They're the, you know, like it doesn't seem like America's voice is always heard. And, and like, this is just another clear example of it. Now, obviously black Americans being the ones that are impacted by anything the most, they, you know, they obviously don't trust even more, but I think it's an, it's an entire American thing when you're talking about like not trusting the federal government. Like I just read this thing on CNN, uh, I think four days ago, uh, that 30% of Americans uh, think that the coronavirus came from a lab. Right, even though you know the CDC and you know a lot of other uh, scientists have said that's that's almost certainly not true, right? But that just it's a clear indicator that people don't trust what they're saying. Right. I mean, there's a lot of things. We think everything comes out of somewhere to this, like to knock us down one step, yeah. no matter what it is. The stimulus check and package. What were um, your thoughts on that? I was very shocked that people actually did get their twelve hundred dollars because I was under the impression that it was most certainly going to get taxed. Right. <laughs> um, so that was shocking. But so I'm on social media and um, being on Twitter um, during these times are quite interesting because when the stimulus um, check was first announced, you saw people on there that were behaving as if they were too good for the stimulus check, right? You saw people saying, oh, y'all are really getting excited for $1,200. That just comes to show that you don't know how to manage your money or, you know, it's just, it's nothing, you know? Then we get the $1,200 and everyone's excited and they're talking about all the ignorant purchases that, that they're going to buy. Like, yeah, I'm going to get ignorant. I'm going to get Balenciagas. And then, you know, you, you just had these varying topics. And then all of a sudden you hear another narrative from, you know, another side of Twitter. And it's, it's saying, Oh, aren't you the same people that were frowning upon the check and saying that you, you weren't managing money yet. You, just got the check and you're right. doing this with the check. So um, 
seeing those narratives play out in real time <laughs> quite interesting because <laughs> you've just seen all types of opinions and my whole thought is but why do we care about other people's pockets and what they're doing with their money because right. then you had you know righteous twitter that was saying well if you don't donate your stimulus check what are you really doing if you don't take your stimulus check and invest it in stocks or invest it in a business or buy a house y'all need to do better and it's just it's just a lot of criticism and a lot of judging and a lot of nitpicking and minding the business that goes back to what you were saying before about like how you know social media like has this like you know like like this is why i'm on limited social media myself it's because like i think a lot of times social media just develops characters like you know what i'm by characters i mean phony characters right like people get to be whoever they want to be on social media so they don't have to be their authentic self and you see that a lot in like when people say stupid things like, you know, why are you so excited about this? Or, you know, I'm too good for this or you should invest in this. Right. Most of them are full of crap and have no idea what they're talking about. Right. And, but it's just what they think that, you know, a person of their pretend status should be saying. Right. And that's the problem. And that's that it goes back to that, you know, that uh, social media pressure to do something during the quarantine where like, I think, you know, the best thing to do in those situations is it's like you said, part of it is going with what your body says and also like attacking the creative juices when you're there, right? Like it's, it's, it's really hard to be creative when you don't have the motivation, right? right. Those days stay home. Real, I mean, we're all staying home, but on those days, watch TV, chill, right? Mm -hmm. But on those days you wake up and you're like, I can do this. I, I got a couple ideas. You take advantage of those days, right? Like it's, it's not like you're just working at home because you want to. It's a fucking pandemic. Right. You're working at home because you have to. And right. a lot of people are parents, a lot of people are now teachers and cooks and, and you know, house cleaners and all these different things. So like being creative isn't always on, you know, everybody's forefront or whatever the case may be. I think the best way to attack it is when the opportunity presents itself and you feel like you're ready to go, you go and you do as much as you can in those moments. And the days that you feel lazy, you enjoy those too, right? I have my days. Yeah. As soon as, <laughs> as soon as the time you get back, you're all going to forget this, right? I think I'm not. That's the thing. That's key to life. It's not forgetting. Like, once you go, like, once all of this is over and it will be over at some point, but once it's all over, not going back to work to do work. 200% and it takes up your life and, you know, traveling an hour to go to work and an hour to come home and, you know, you're at work all day, then you're tired when you get home. It's like really finding a way to make it time for yourself. Our new normal is going to be different. Huh? Our new normal is going to be different. Oh, yeah. It's not going to be, oh, you know, that party was packed. There was 500 people. There was a line. No, like we have to also like everyone's like, yeah, invite me to everything when I come out. I'm like, yeah, but when we go to brunch, it's only going to be 10 people there. So like, what are we really looking forward to? Because right. we still don't have, you know, a vaccine for this coronavirus. And let's say, you know, I personally doubt it, but let's say that, you know, we go back, back out May 15th, you know? Right. Things are still going to be different. We still have to maintain social distancing. We still have to maintain six feet. We don't have a virus. Well, I concerts are saying that they won't, they're postponing all of their stuff until 2022. So 
we yeah, have to also expect to go out to a new normal. We can't expect brunch to be what it was. That's what I was saying about like like concerts and stuff like that. But I think that a big part of it, right, like, is um, recognizing what you're saying uh, that there was not going to be a vaccine until uh, early 2021. Mm-hmm. So. Um, but also people have to recognize if they really want to get things back to normal, everyone has to get tested. Everyone has to get tested. Everyone has to get, you know, tested consistently. Everyone has What's to, the knowledge on that? Well, right I now, don't want to get tested. You can speak for yourself. I don't want a swab that's going to swab my thoughts. I saw how long that swab was. Well, you got all right. the way back here. I do not want those problems. That's the same thing they use for the flu. But, 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 no, no, the, the, um, coronavirus one is longer than the one that they use for the flu. This is the thing that we have to be careful with, right? Like, is is that, like, it's, it's that's, like, the misinformation. There is no coming back to normal without understanding the antibodies, without without people having the antibodies, right? There's no way, uh, like, that we will be able to develop a vaccine without testing people, right? Like, that's just, that's, you know, the way that, you know, uh, the things work. But when we look at social media and we hear about all these, you know, like, uh, you know, uh, for example, like getting the vaccine, they're gonna put a chip in you and all this stuff. The reality, <laughs> yeah, the reality is that we're already in the matrix. And what I mean by that is like, in look, the look at us right now. All Americans are stuck at home clamoring for the stimulus check, right? Like it, it's yeah. a clear indicator that if anybody thinks they have their shit figured out and they have the, you know, this entire world figured out, they're wrong, right? I mean, the one percenters. Maybe the one percenters. They got their shit together. But what I'm talking about is, oh, but they're not the people that are saying that they're not going to, you know, get the vaccine. They're not going to do all the necessary precautions mm-hmm. to uh, get things back to normal. Right. It's the people that probably need it the most. That are the ones that are, that are one, afraid of, right, the government or the do, government. How do we get our community to trust the government? Well, you can't. The government has done too well, much to us. I will. I, I said the question wrong. How do we get our community to trust? Um, I guess ultimately is the government, but just like just have trust in some type of system that's actually built but for that. To we have, to, we have to think about the last times we did trust the government. You know, know. Remember the syphilis experiment. Well, we're not talking. We're not, we're not talking about the government. That's the thing, is, and that's it. Like we're talking about the CDC, and and like even you know, like there's been some shady things, but like it's trusting science. It's trusting legitimate information. It's not getting your information or your news from social media. It's not getting it from Instagram. It's not getting it from a post that your friends, friends, aunts, friends, sisters, nephews, aunts, cousins posted two days ago, right? It's uh, looking at videos about 5G and seeing how they're post-dated from five years ago, so they're not directly connected to coronavirus. It's all these different things, right? That that um, it's just reasonably deducing. It's understanding, like you know, in the reality is, uh, corporate America needs black people. We're worker ants. They don't want to kill us, right? So like, like, <laughs> so unfortunately, okay. unfortunately. <laughs> They need us to spend money and they need us to work so they don't have to work. That's right? all they want us to do. But that's what I spend, yeah, I agree that's with what you I just spend said. money. But in terms of like work at ants. We are work at ants, but so like I don't like that terminology. But it's the truth, unfortunately. Yeah. So what that's we what we have to do as a community is we have to start like um being more uh uh responsible with uh not only the information that we get but the information that we pass along 
Mm -hmm. and be more responsible with with uh you know understanding and being more detail oriented with understanding certain things and that's not something that we do right now as a community right like right now our biggest source of, uh, like as an entire united states of america but like i'm just put, uh particularly talking about the black community a lot of times it's 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 instagram it's facebook it's Twitter. that's how the election got rigged in the first place right so I think that um, that's one of the big things that we have to do um, is make sure that, you know, that that doesn't happen, right? And part of that is like, you know, if, if you're not comfortable with the, the swab, you got to do more research behind it. Yeah. Right? You got another test. I'd love to take that. But I I'm, sure that there, I'm sure that there's going to be more tests, like um, um, quicker tests, more effective tests coming along, it's just a matter of time. Uh, but like, testing is, is one of the big uh, necessities in this. I don't know if you guys heard, I just heard today, but I can't remember which governor for what city in Africa this was, but um, early, they just started quarantining. But early on, um, they asked um, if he has any cases in a, in a city and he said no. And they were like, how are you sure? And he was like, well, we, we don't have any tests, so we don't have any cases. <laughs> so I, I'm not 100% sure if that's true. I can't remember which governor this was, but I just heard that today. And if that is true, then that's, I mean, it makes, I mean, but that's like a lot of how I feel the black community deals with things. Like if, 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 you know, when you think about, for example, mental health alone, you don't want to go to the therapist. It's, you know, just go to God. If you pray about it, you don't have no mental illness. No one can diagnose you with anything right. if you just pray it off, you know? So I think our trust issues just stem from like a community-based thing. Like if we could like figure out a way to trust each other, mm -hmm. right? And I don't mean each other, like social media and like, you know, like the shade room and that, like, you know, and they give good information, shade room sometimes. But I feel like if you actually go to, like, go in your community, you go talk to people, talk to your neighbors, come together in some form or fashion to create kind of a system that's based for your personal community, then I think it's more likely that, um, like you can like start developing the trust and, and governing your own entire town, what you want to see in it. I mean, that's difficult. I just think that people have to be open to uh, um, facts. Like, I think that's one of the big, it sounds silly, but it's one of the big things that, that um, social media has affected, right? Like you, you have people that, you know, you say something as simple as like, you know, coronavirus is a novel virus and people are arguing that it's like you know laboratory made it's it's um it's not coronavirus it's 5g i mean that's a that's you know like mm -hmm. not conducive to uh helping to fix this thing and black people are getting hit with it the hardest but back to what cheyenne was saying um with us trusting each other it's not necessarily our fault that we don't trust each other it's been centuries and centuries and centuries of us not trusting each other. You have to think about the historical context of us when we got here. You know, we, 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 when you brought here, you 
you you weren't brought here with you know that much type of unity everything that everyone did when you know what our ancestors did you know our predecessors did was out of survival and unfortunately in order to survive that kind of environment you couldn't trust each other because there you know there were all types of things that we probably can't even begin to wrap our heads around because we don't know the full in-depth story of, of slavery and not even just slavery but jim crow everything actually i would actually argue it's the opposite i would say that like that's how a culture develops right like the fact that we had to rely on each other um as a community of a bunch of different you know african islands i mean Af uh, african uh, uh um countries right it is a uh, um each other's language yeah but but then you learn right it's it's no different than like any other like you know you struggle together so therefore you become like one right yeah i mean i feel like i get what both of you are saying i'm kind of in between right i feel like it is you know and i agree it's really hard for us to come together as a community one because um just like someone being caucasian they could come from germany italy whatever right um you know there's different types of african-american there's caribbean is you know whatever there's african descent there's you you don't remember nothing about no other island other than just being at um, you know in america for years and you know you have lineage in america like through slavery and all the you know our past ancestors and everything that they went through um but in terms of like getting on a page i think that on the same page i think that we have to you know um see history as kind of like a guide but then create our own new history and i know that history is doomed to repeat itself if you don't know about it and things of that nature but at the same time i think that when we get too caught up in like what our ancestors has been through um it it kind of i feel like that's another thing that separates us right and then there's the idea of colorism as well that separates us that's an internal thing that we have going yeah, well, on we only know that because of history right like and those are those are tools that they've used and been using right because we're not uh, you know acknowledging history uh in the way that we should uh, and or in the fashion that we did, it's the same tools uh, that they're they're continuing to use. Right. right. So and exactly, but then at the same time, I think if we're able, if a community, right, let's say a community of black people are able to just stop and say, okay, so all of this happened, we know about it, right? And then really sit down and say, okay, just because someone's light skin doesn't mean that they're better than me. We all like social media has helped debunk that right if you haven't heard it already um and then on top of that you know it's the um economic statuses you know what i'm saying so even though so like we could be poor let's say right and you could be rich and i'm looking at you sideways sideways because you have I, I perceive you to have more money than me do you know what i'm saying but i really have no idea what your financial status is and then on top of that um those who are in the black community who have the funds need to give back to the black community and invest back into black community i feel like we kind of just take it but that, that well, take money and say all right cool 
But also when you think about like slavery and Jim Crow and our ancestors, you know, even if we do have the opportunity to come together, because I don't think it's diaspora that separates us. I think it's our inherited will to survive in general, just under any circumstances. And I feel like a lot of the problem with us um, seeking survival is that sometimes it can be out of mistrust, out of so out of so much of what we've experienced and also to misinformation you have a system that has been put into place for many many years that don't necessarily work in our benefit and many of us don't know the system that well they don't and when you don't know the system you will get fucked. a lot of people don't know their constitutional rights a lot of people don't know the the bylaws you know and and amendments a lot of people don't know all these things so even if you do come together you still have to find a way to survive right well how do you survive when you don't have the tools you don't have the proper information you have some people within our community that are well versed and knows everything that they need to know about how the system is built and how to navigate around it but the great mass of us we the a lot of us didn't learn about the 13th amendment like the actual true message behind the 13th amendment until Ava DuVernay dropped that Netflix, that Netflix documentary. That's true. Well, I mean, part of that is like, I mean, also we have to acknowledge like that it's a, it's a large responsibility that people act like you have. White people don't know it either. No one knows half these things that we're mentioning. The difference is that there's the social structures don't allow for it to matter for them, right? Like they don't have to worry about going outside and getting shot because they don't know the amendments, they don't know their rights or whatever. It's what it's, we do. So there is a bigger responsibility, unfortunately, in our community to know certain things. Right. So even some of that is like we have to acknowledge that there is a difference. Like and that's part of uh, the systemic racism, like anything that you can think of, there's always like a stark difference. Right. Like the fact that we have to be so on point about everything and no one else is, is a clear indicator that this system is not built for us. Right. right? But at the same time, it's like we've seen examples of, you know, systems where you know black communities have thrived right we've seen it with the black panthers we've seen it in tulsa we've seen it in chicago we've seen it in a lot of different areas right and i think that like it's it's possible for it to happen but we have to acknowledge you know it on a community community basis and not necessarily on a larger scale than that for right now and what i mean by that is like they're they're like the United States of America is homogenous, right? There's a lot of different black people that come from a lot of different places that don't necessarily associate with a lot of different black people, right? Mm -hmm. But in the eyes of the United States of America, they're all just black. Right. But if an African comes from Africa, they don't necessarily consider themselves African-American, right? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, a, a Haitian or a Jamaican coming from Haiti don't necessarily consider themselves African-American, but they all get treated the same when they're in the United States of America, right? Right. So part of it is that we have to acknowledge that there is a difference between the different cultures that are um, that are black, right? You know, like like Shine said, when you when an Italian comes to America, he's Italian, but he doesn't have to worry about getting shot by the police, mm -hmm. right? So we have to we have to like eliminate some of those unnecessary pressures, right? And start to build a community where like being black isn't an issue. Right, and then, and then you'll start to notice that a lot of other people will be okay with it, right? Like, I think part of it is, is you know, it's funny, like, some of the roles that we take, right? Like, some of the mostly, like, like uh, on television, right? Like, we have to be more willing to, or, or less willing to take the criminal roles, or less willing to take the gangster roles, or less willing to take the, uh, 
you know, roles where the mother is the, you know, the breadwinner and the dad's not even around, right? Like, right? And not, and not say that those things don't exist in our community, but they exist in every community. We're just the ones that get stuck with the uh, stigma that it, it, you know, it's worse off in our communities, right? And, you know, you know, that's one, that's one fold, right? Like, and start changing, you know, some of the dynamics around the way people perceive black people, right? That is acknowledging that there's black is a skin color, but there's multicultural, like, there's, multi, there's a lot of cultures in being black. I feel like once you start with your individual community and you decide, like, your individual community decides what they will and will not take, then it would, you know, it will become very contagious. And then it will grow into something bigger that would hit the in, in, entertainment industry. The entertainment, I feel like it, the entertainment industry is just for people to be entertained. And it's the easiest way to manipulate the masses on what to do, or what's coming up next, or, you know, or you should donate for this purpose because whatever the case may be, or you should watch this show. It's a quick way to, to manipulate everyone into well not everyone but damn near everyone into doing the same things um over and over again and even though we have some powerful you know african-american celebrities who voice their opinions on certain things they stand behind certain things they're doing their philanthropy work um i just don't think like people look at them and say oh my gosh like you know she's doing this and this is amazing and that's great but it's kind of like all right so what are you doing for your community because you're not seeing it's not directly impacting you the help that you know a celebrity does you know what i'm saying well, i mean i just think it, it depends like you know a lot of athletes go to you know build uh different um uh, opportunities in different schools like if you look at LeBron James's school like mm -hmm. that's going to do a lot for you know the people in that community right like but I think expecting it to just come from celebrities is is, is part of the problem that's right? like there's right. a successful uh you know uh people that aren't celebrities or that you know that can come back and just provide you know inspiration if anything like go to the school that you came from and be like hey look I'm an entrepreneur or like Part of why celebrities are so important in, that, in the black community is because that's how people think they can get out. You know, like, you know, back in the days, it was like you either had a, a wicked jump shot of sling rocks, right? Like, right. you either were selling drugs or you were an athlete, right? Okay. Like, nobody saw a lawyer as a way out or a doctor as a way out because it, that, you know, it just wasn't something that was uh, considered attainable to our community. But there are plenty of black doctors and plenty of successful black lawyers and uh, you know like those are some of the people that we need to start uh you know propping up as you know uh science or even like you know like if you don't want to go to school fine you can you know uh there's plenty of successful hvac operators and and plenty of successful like you know people that own their own businesses and all these different things right like but they will never have as much um persuasion as a celebrity yeah but that's the problem but that's part of the part of the problem is because of, like there's uh, no there's no other sides to the coin right there's only the the side of the rich super successful celebrity that we see all the time right there's not the the self-made guy like you know like the Stephen A. Smiths of the world or like you know like the Jay-Z of the world like you know and uh, granted they're both kind of celebrities now but like there like, there's uh yeah, kind of. Um, there, uh, 
there's a lot of other, you know, people that have done very similar things to them that are still in the community, they're still out in the community. Thank you um, for joining us. This was a really good conversation. I enjoyed it. It was. I definitely enjoyed it. Um, so thank you for joining us on The Power of a Voice. Thank you. We enjoyed you. Um, tell people where they can follow you or like follow you on social media. I'm at K-A-Y-N-O-U-V-E-L-L-E on Instagram. The views that I've discussed in this message is not a reflection on the company that I work for. Um, these are my personal views and ideals. This is Cheyenne signing off. This is Jonathan signing off. And this is Keisha signing off. Thank you guys. See you guys soon. Bye. Bye.